All right, we're going to finish up the book of Ephesians tonight. Like, we're going to finish a book. Like, we've preached through a whole book over the course of the semester. So this is good, encouraging. Last time it took us two years to get through a book. We did it in a semester. Feeling good. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 10. And we're going to finish up all the way to verse 24. <clears throat> so I, I, I don't think it's necessary to recap Ephesians for you. I want to say one thing before we jump into this. Um, uh, it, it is, it's normal in our culture to not really be specific and thoughtful about what we believe about reality, uh, about what we believe about what are humans and how did they get here and what are they doing here. Um, those are questions that we might throw around, you know, like in high school, mentally, um, or we may never entertain them at all. Uh, but those are questions that we typically in our culture don't land specifically on. And because our culture is one that is made up of many cultures, uh, we hold those ideas sort of up in the air and we find it okay and good to never land. Um, and so we will actually move on through life never really landing on what is a human. Are they made in the image of God? Are they the product of evolutionary accidents? Do they have value? Are humans valuable because they're made in the image of God? Or are they accidents with no meaning? Right, we don't really ever land on those things. Uh, a lot of us don't. And so what Ephesians has done a lot, but what Ephesians and what Paul has been calling these people in Ephesus to do and what he is then calling us to do is to land on some pretty crazy beliefs that God does in fact exist, that he's made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit desperately love humanity and want to reconcile humanity because humanity was made in their image and they want to restore the relationship that they had with humanity in the beginning of humanity's existence. And that they have made a way to restore that relationship through one member of the Trinity becoming a human and suffering at the hands of men to satisfy the wrath of God so that we as humans can accept forgiveness that we don't deserve. We can accept life that we don't deserve. We can be restored to God which we don't deserve. And that after being restored to God, we can then play out our purpose in the world which is to be the image-bearing representatives, to be what we were made to be, to be the ones that show the universe what God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like as we grow to know him and represent him on the earth. To be like Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28 says, to be made in his image and to be the stewards of this earth, to bring mercy to this earth, to bring compassion to this earth through our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he's calling you to land. And he's calling you to land on some beliefs. And what he's saying is caught up in the middle of that reconciling and that restoration is a spiritual war that has been waging since the beginning. That it's not just that we left God. It's that we were tempted away from God by another spiritual being. And that that spiritual being has been directing this world 
in our absence, in our absence of being the ones who would steward the earth in the direction of God's will, in our absence and in our rebellion, another being has been doing that. And what you see Ephesians saying over and over and over again is that there are authorities, principalities, and spiritual forces of darkness at work in the world to direct it into a negative place and to direct you personally into a negative place, into a bad place, so that you might not represent the image of God and so that, the, that God would be demeaned by his image being destroyed. So he's calling you to believe these huge ideas and to land somewhere on them because if you just hold them up as maybes, uh, they have zero power. Or if you just hold them up as theoretical truths and not truths that you actually apply, they have no power. So he's calling you to believe that. So let's jump in and read this and then we'll unpack it. So we'll start in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We'll stop there. So y'all, have y'all heard this one before? Have y'all heard these verses before? Yeah, yeah, it's fairly, if anybody knows anything about Ephesians, they typically know Ephesians 6. Like, put on the whole armor of God, especially if you're raised in the church. You had that sweet little, like, uh, ridiculous Roman man on the wall, and then you had to, like, Velcro his pieces to him, like, Velcro his breastplate of righteousness, right? And the sandals to his feet, right? And the helmet of salvation. And then we were like, yeah, and he's got the sword, of the Spirit, which is the Bible, right? So we've heard this before. And this one on the heels of last week. So if you weren't here last week, um, this one on the heels of last week's topic, re- I really struggled to connect the two. I really struggled to understand, like, where the heck is he going with this Roman soldier thing? Um, and so where we went last week was he's, he's calling Christians, he's calling those who have been reconciled to God to think about the way that they live and be very specific in the way that they do things, in the way that they use their time, in the way that they approach alcohol, and in several different things. Be specific and live differently, but live in a way where you're thinking about what you're doing. And then in light of that, he says one of the ways that we live together is we submit to one another. We submit to one another. That we don't elevate ourselves above each other, that we'll actually bring ourselves underneath each other and give up freedoms for each other, for the sake of each other. So he says, submit to one another. And then he goes on to that beautiful section that the guys love and the women hate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right? Husbands, love your wives. And then the next part is, children, obey your parents. And parents, don't exacerbate your children, but raise them up in the Lord. And then this other one that is also crazy. Bond servants, obey your masters as you would the Lord. And then to the masters he says, don't rule over them. Don't misuse them. The bond servants. Because God is not partial. And you are not better than them. 
And then we jump right in this, finally be strong in the Lord. And so I struggled to understand what's it talking about. But if you look there in verse 11, I believe, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so what he's saying is, look, one of the places that you are typically going to see conflict is in what we talked about last week. You're going to see conflict. You're going to make conflict a human thing. You are typically going to see conflict through the, end, the, through the lens of you and another human being. So the place that you're going to see conflict a lot is between wives and husbands, between children and parents. And then we can put it here in the social sphere between bond servants and masters, and we can take it to our context and say between bosses and employers. That you are going to hit conflict and you are going to hit difficulties and you're going to hit frustrations and what he's saying is you are most likely going to view them through the lens of human to human conflict where you will place yourself above that person and disregard that person and dislike that person and hate that person and grow angry with that person because either they don't see things the way that you see them or they don't treat you the way you want to be treated. And so you will take conflict and you'll make it a human-to-human thing. And what he's saying is those are the places you're typically liable to do that, but don't do that because underneath your human conflict is a spiritual war that's been waging since the beginning. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You do not wrestle against parents and children. You do not wrestle against wives and husbands. You do not wrestle against bondservants and masters. That is going on, but underneath it, at a more fundamental level, is a spiritual conflict that's waging. And what does he say it's with? Verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Before I jump into... And at the cost of jumping into the armor of God for very long, I would rather really press into this part. I'd much rather press into this part. That you have conflicts with people in this room or people at home that you see only through the lens of physicality and you are completely unaware of the spiritual component that is playing y'all like suckers. That's playing you. Because what we see even from the very, very, very beginning is that the work of the enemy was to separate men from God, and then as men are separated from God, men will necessarily separate from each other. Men will kill each other they will tear each other apart because they're being torn apart internally because this relationship has been severed and we are feeling the loss of life that this world brings when we do not have a vibrant relationship with our creator and so we are torn apart internally and that's specifically why he starts this finally be strong in the lord It is your strength in the Lord that will keep you from being torn apart internally and also 
ripping apart the relationships that you're in. It is, and, and let me explain this. Let me explain this part. Well, let's just use an example. Uh, yesterday was Saturday, and me and my wife, um, y'all get to hear a lot of arguments about me and my wife. Sorry. Uh, me and my wife have been talking a little bit about if we're going to get a Christmas tree because we have a, a 11 and a half month old boy who's just learned to walk and he terrorizes, he's a terror. And so we have been saying, I've been saying we should get a Christmas tree because that's what you do at Christmas time and that it should be real and that it should have delicate glass ornaments on it and brittle plastic and hot lights. Like, you have to do that. It's Christmas. And so my wife says, no, no, we're not getting a Christmas tree this year. We're probably not even going to spend Christmas Day here. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be the one who's home all day with, with, with Marshall. I'm going to be the one who's got to keep him from that tree, and you're going to be at work. And so I, like a loving husband, I get mad, and I clam up, because I know yelling at her, and I'm, my mother-in-law was in town, I know yelling at her in front of her mother is not good. So I just clam up, and I walk in the other room, and I start doing the things that she's having me do, like get the Christmas ornaments, and I'm getting the, Christ I'm getting the Christmas decorations from the attic, and I see the box with all the tree ornaments, and I like kick it, and then I get all the other stuff and bring it down from the attic, and she can tell what's wrong with you, you know what I mean? So we go in the room, and then I accidentally slam the door. And it really was an accident. It just looked really bad. I just slam the door. And what erupts is really not about the tree at all. What erupts is not about her having to watch Marshall. What erupts are underlying thoughts that have been crossing my mind and crossing her mind for probably the last year, consistently. Things like, you don't want to do anything difficult. You always want to take the easy road out because you're lazy. And so the tree is just another example of you wanting to take the easy road out. You see what I mean? It's not about a tree. It's about things that cross my mind and things that cross her mind. Things like, you care more about work than you do about the family. And so you're going to go to work and you're not even going to consider what's going on here because you don't really care what goes on here. Do I believe the things that cross my mind? No. Does she believe the things that cross her mind? No. But what happens is when they do cross her mind, she snags it and dwells on it. Let's it breed contempt. Let's it breed anger. Let's it breed frustration. And then us not seeing eye to eye about a tree becomes something much, much bigger. And I bet what you know also is that you have conflicts today. You've had conflicts today. You've had conflicts this past week or this past month that you know the underlying thing had nothing to do with what exploded out between people here and between you and your family. Because there are underlying 
insecurities, hopes about the future, frustrations, guilt, things inside of me and inside of you that are gnawing all the time. And when I have these gnawing things about the way I think our home should act and look and be, and she's got these gnawing things about what she hopes I'm like and what she hopes our son is like, and these hit each other, it has the capability of being deadly and explosive. And you know that. And you felt those things. That at the fundamental level, what Paul would say is that me and Lauren were both just getting played. We were just getting played. In the moment, we're just getting played. That this conflict erupts, and then there goes the thoughts. And some of them, I'm like, no, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. But one of them comes in. Oh, that one's true. And I operate on it, and I dwell on it. And so... This is what I mean. It is those insecurities that we don't apply the gospel to and we don't apply the work of Christ to. It is appropriating the work of Christ to strengthen us so that we don't operate from those insecurities, so that those thoughts don't seem as true and we don't bite on them. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to show it to you in this armor of God thing, right? So, he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and we have a propensity to wrestle against flesh and blood. You have a propensity to do that. But he's saying your battle is not there. Your battle is spiritually. And then look at what he says to do in light of the spiritual battle. In light of the spiritual battle, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, and again he says, stand therefore, and then he's gonna list these out. I'm not gonna go super deep in why each one, why righteousness is a breastplate, but I am gonna show you each of them has something to do with the work of Jesus. Taking up the armor of God means appropriating a truth to your specific circumstance. It means taking a truth and putting it on. Not just allowing Jesus to be the guy that died on the cross that got you to heaven, but to be the work of Jesus that actually does something that means I'm secure in my identity, I'm secure in knowing that I'm saved, I'm secure in knowing that my Father sees me as righteous and good, in his eyes because of the work of Jesus and not my own works, right? It's taking the work of Jesus and applying it to me in my present circumstance, in my present conflict, in the, the people and things that I deal with on a daily basis. Taking up the armor of God is appropriating the work of Christ for me. And then something else I want you to see is the communal aspect of it. And we're gonna start there. The Roman soldier is not equipped for primarily hand-to-hand combat. The Roman soldier has a breastplate, but nothing on his back. He's got shoes that are really only closed on the front. It doesn't talk about his shin guards, but he's got shin guards, but nothing on the back. He's got a helmet that primarily covers his face. 
the Roman soldier operates in what's called a phalanx. The way the Romans conquered the world was the phalanx. They conquered the world with this thing called a phalanx. What a phalanx is, is nothing to guard you behind, but it's row after row after row after row of soldier with a giant square shield where it covers half of them and the person next to them covers the other half of them. And the person next to them covers the other half of them. And the people behind them cover the top of them with a shield. And so what happens is you have this giant turtle. No, it's probably not a turtle. It's more like a doodlebug. But it's massive. Okay? And one thing the Roman soldiers are charged to do is the phalanx will stand firm as long as nobody breaks rank. If somebody breaks rank, the whole thing falls apart. So you never retreat. You either stand firm or you move forward. But you never break and you never turn back. And that's the way the phalanx took over the whole world. It's because they could stand firm and it's like, it's like a doodlebug, right? Imagine an enormous doodlebug that's just coming at you. It doesn't matter what you throw at it. It doesn't matter what spears you hurl at it. It doesn't matter what you do to it. It's completely covered by these giant water, leather, water-soaked shields. So they have these leather shields that are soaked in water so that when fiery darts hit them, they don't catch. And so they can literally just stand firm until all of the enemy runs out of ammunition and then it's like, oh, we're out of arrows. And nothing happened to them. And then they charge, and then they break open on those shields with these like 12-foot-long spears. But the person behind them has like a 12-foot-long spear. So it's like 40 spears. It's like a doodlebug with crazy teeth. But the phalanx was the most brilliant military advancement. Started by the Greeks, really picked up by the Romans took over the world. They conquered the world with the phalanx. So when we think they understood that, we don't understand that. And so what you're going to see as we close the end of this out, there's this communal aspect that I'll show you. But let's jump in and unpack for a second. Unpack this individual part for a second. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So the belt is what holds this whole piece together. It's this binding element to all of the armor. And what it is, is the belt of truth. And so what I said earlier is that belief plays this major role in us actually appropriating the work of Jesus to our lives. What is it that saves you? What is it that you have to do to, what is it asking Jesus into your heart? What does that really mean? It means believing that Jesus was who he said he was and that he actually was crucified on a cross for your sins and then believing that he actually resurrected to give you life. It's all about belief. So if the Christian message is true and it changes everything or the Christian message is not true and we're all a bunch of idiots in here. I'm yelling at you about nothing. But this is fundamentally why he says take on the belt of truth because this is primarily this is primarily predicated and appropriated by you believing. Not just believing that God is powerful, 
but believing that God is powerful for you. Not just believing that Christ loves, but believing that Christ loves you. I'm appropriating the work of Jesus. Not just believing that the Father has a will for the world, but he has a will for me. I'm appropriating the work of Jesus individually. So I take on the belt of truth. It is believing truth that binds us together. Not truth primarily like we talk about the worldview truth. You've got to believe the Christian worldview. You've got to vote Republican. I'm talking about specific truths about your identity. That you've been redeemed and you're seen as righteous in the eyes of God the Father. That nothing in your past is now on you anymore because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you. That anything you did wrong this past weekend has been washed clean if you believe in Jesus. That's what I mean by truth. I mean specific things about you. So he says, take on the belt of truth. And then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he puts on this breastplate of righteousness. And that's just fundamentally the same thing. The appropriation of righteousness to you because Jesus has lived a perfectly righteous life. And he says, if you believe in me, then you can be clothed in that righteous life and the Father will see you as righteous. That you don't have to work to be seen as good. That there's nothing that you have to do to be seen as good. The only thing you need to do is believe the truth about Jesus and trust in Jesus and you are seen as righteous in the eyes of God. You don't need to do good deeds But if you trust in Jesus, you will do good deeds, but you don't have to do good deeds to be seen as righteous. You believe in Jesus and are seen as righteous. So we say, I'm taking on this breastplate of righteousness. I'm taking on this identity of righteousness. I'm taking on this thing that is protective in such a way that whatever comes against me and whatever I do and whatever's been done against me doesn't matter because I understand that the, the life of Jesus is wrapped around me like a garment And when I made mistakes with my wife on Saturday morning, I can apologize to her and I can go to my father and say, Father, I believe the blood of Jesus covers me and that I've reconciled with my wife and I want to reconcile with you, but I already believe you've forgiven me because Jesus says that you do. And I'm going to stand on that, that you see me as righteous. I don't need to do penance. I don't need to do Hail Marys. I need to believe in Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, right? We'll keep going. And his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Same thing. Jesus has brought peace between me and God and also between me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing stands between us because the blood of Jesus has covered your sins against me and mine against you and mine in front of God the Father. so that God has made peace and I can be ready to do all that he calls me to do, which will be primarily pushing back the kingdom of darkness as I bring the gospel of peace to those who do not have it. Do you see the phalanx in there? Do you see the stand firm? Now push 
Stand firm, now push. And do you see what the enemy might want to do to you so that that doesn't happen? That this is primarily a spiritual battle waging between light and darkness, and every step that we take is us advancing light and bringing peace and bringing truth and bringing beauty back to the world and bringing that, and that we take a step in that, but what would the enemy want to do to us? The enemy would rather split us all apart while we argue about petty things, about different theologies, about relationships, about stupid crap. Because if you can break the phalanx, it doesn't matter. The phalanx depends on shield, shield, shield covering each other. And that's why he jumps into that. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Faith is this word that means belief and trust all at the same time. It's not just I mentally agree. It's that I believe and put faith in. And he says, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. That story I told you earlier about my wife, that is one of the thousands of ways that you experience the fiery darts of the enemy. They are strategically placed at your insecurities, at your hopes for the future, and the people that might take that away, at the way that you see yourself, and the way that you wish you didn't see yourself, they are strategically placed to destroy you in such a way that you might destroy other people. The shield of faith is not just about you, but it is about you. And that we take up the shield of belief and trust so that I'm trusting in the truth. I'm trusting in the work of Jesus. So that when I take these shots at my identity, that this crazy woman's going to ruin your future. How absurd is that? That the woman that God gave to me to bear my children and to suffer with and to love, who has been there with me through everything, who five minutes later came up and said, hey, it's really no big deal. We can get a tree. And we went and got it that day and decorated it that day. That that woman would be the one that these fiery darts come at. Because where would the enemy want to destroy first? But my home. And so I get these fiery darts, and you get these fiery darts. And we don't extinguish them by suppressing them. We extinguish them by taking up the shield of faith, of belief and trust. I believe my Father has a will for me, and that He will be faithful to lead and to guide, that He has given me a different and new identity that is in Christ, that I am loved by the Creator, and that this woman that He gave to me loves me and is following hard after the Lord as well. And that as we submit to each other and submit to Him, He will make our path straight. He will guide us out of conflict. But we take up the shield of belief and trust, and it's really trusting. It's not theory. 
but we do it in such a way that it binds the community together because the community is dependent upon this part. Because most of the fiery darts, I'm gonna say most, I feel this way about me and it may not be for you, but I think it might be. Most of the fiery darts that you get, they are aimed at you in such a way that it turns you against people close to you. Why do you think you can be really good friends with someone and then move in with them? And then you freaking hate them. And everything that they do drives you nuts. It's a fiery darts. Every relationship that we get into, after a period of time, will come to a place where we begin to think wildly negative things about that person that we would never say out loud. And we do but only when we get super pissed. The fiery darts of the enemy. There are a thousand other ways that those come, but I think this is angled at the life of the community. The scripture is, I think there's a thousand other ways that this comes. Through want, through desire, through lust, through anger, through fear. Good Lord. And you know it and you feel it. All right, let's finish up. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The helmet of salvation being this sort of peace that guards your life that I am trusting in and believing in the work of Jesus to bring me to the day of completion that I will one day stand before the Lord and be seen as righteous when he judges the whole world. When he reconciles all things to himself, I will be seen as righteous, not because I did righteously, but because the blood of Jesus has covered me. The helmet of salvation. And then he says, take up the sword of the spirit. And we could unpack the sword of the spirit for a long time. It's this word that doesn't mean logos. It means rhema, which probably doesn't mean the written word. It means the spoken word. And what does the spoken word mean? And it has a lot to do with the fact that the New Testament wasn't written yet. And mostly the gospel was being preached at this time and not read. And so he's taking up the declared word of God. And what you're going to see in the lives of your relationships is if you can declare the word of God over the people around you, you will bring about so much healing and restoration. That if you can declare to someone that you know is struggling with insecurity, is struggling with doubt, is struggling with how they view y'all's relationship, if you can approach it with grace and the gospel and declare to them, I love you and I forgive you because of the work of Jesus. This affected me this way, but because of the blood of Jesus, I approach you at the level ground of the cross. When you can bring the declared gospel into your relationship and not just assume things, but you can actually tell people the way that Christ binds you together and initiates forgiveness and initiates understanding and initiates submission, it will bring a wild amount of healing to your relationships. Lastly, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication that you are appropriating before the Lord the things that you believe about Jesus. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance 
making supplication for all the saints. So that as I am appropriating the work of Jesus and believing that his righteousness actually makes me righteous, that his forgiveness actually forgives me, that I might do that in such a way that it unites me back to my Father and that I can come to other people and that I can get on my knees and pray for other people. I can pray for my wife. I can pray for my child. I can pray for you and you can pray for me. And here we see the phalanx bound together. Here we see the thing that unites this pushing forward. It's that I am taking up your grievances, your issues, your failures, and your victories before the Lord. And you're doing the same for me. That we are united as one body moving forward with one purpose and one mind and getting past the pettiness that would separate us and taking up the shield of faith to extinguish the darts of the enemy. And then he says, and then pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel from an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul will finish this letter up just very simply so that you also may know that how I'm doing and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That he's sending a beloved brother to let him know how he is. And so I would say to you, finally, I would say to you, you guys are going home for what, five weeks? You got finals coming up, stressful time, crazy time. And you're going to go home. And my guess is a lot of you go home to hostile homes. And that some of you may not go home to hostile homes, but you do go home to a place where you have friends who don't support what you believe and don't believe what you believe and would love to draw you back into a lifestyle that you've already walked away from that most of you are not going home to a group of people who follow the Lord and want to encourage you in that. And so I'd say this finally and lastly, how Paul started that. Be strong in the Lord. And what I mean very simply is this. If you do not take time, if you do not take time when you get home and over the holiday, when you have less responsibility, if you do not take time to read the scriptures and to pray and ask the Lord and appropriate the work of Jesus to you, to take your insecurities about the future, about your relationships, and about yourself, and lay them down in front of Jesus and say, I believe the blood of Jesus covers me for this guilt, this shame, this insecurity. I believe that you will lead and guide in a way that I don't see and don't understand, but I trust you and that you are consistently bringing things before the Lord so that you might strengthen yourself in the Lord and you might put away that gnawing inside of you that is not really that happy with life as it is or that's mad at your mom for the way how ridiculous she is or for the thing you did the night before because you went out with some friends that you haven't been out with in a while and you did a few things you wish you hadn't have done because you walked away from that for a long time and then you spend the next four weeks in this weird place where you don't know if God really loves you or not. 
If you would do something wrong and then the next morning say, I believe the blood of Jesus covers me. I want to walk away from that. And Father, I believe that you love me. So now empower me, strengthen me so that I might do all that you've called me to do. And that you would take time, that you would take time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. If you do not, if you do not appropriate the armor of God, if you do not appropriate the work of Jesus, you'll strengthen yourself in the Lord. You are going to fall victim to the fiery darts of the enemy. You're going to fall victim to the ways that we all don't like the way we are. And we're all different in that way. You're going to fall victim to it. And the next thing that it does is it breaks you off from the people that, that the Lord would lead you to share the gospel with to share peace and life and forgiveness and reconciliation with. And so I'm asking you, I'm begging you, make time, make time to strengthen yourself in the Lord by appropriating the work of Jesus.